Morning everybody, great to see you all. Beautiful winter's day. Sunshine, rain, rain yesterday, heavy rain yesterday. Wonderful today, isn't it? Okay, let's let's have truth truth moment here. Who came who dragged themselves here this morning because you knew it would be good for you and you are glad you did? Amen. We've had a great, great time worshipping Jesus. See, we, we fix our gaze on him and it shifts the things that need to be shifted internally. Okay, Bible's open. Let's have a Bible open this morning. If you've got a device or a printed copy, why not... Here's, here's something that I found helpful uh, and did, did for many years and still do occasionally. When I was, a, when I was growing up uh, and had to stop going out to the kids' program and sit in with the grown-ups, uh, my parents encouraged me to bring my Bible and bring a journal or a notebook, we called it in those days. We didn't have fancy things like journals. It was just an exercise book. And take notes on what was said. Write things down. That, that helped me a lot to concentrate. Made some nice drawings along the way as well. Sometimes try to draw what was being, you know, the Bible passage was being read. Great thing. So I want to encourage all of the adults to set an example for all of the teenagers and young adults with this. And I, I do mean that. Parents, it really makes a difference when your kids see you doing it. One of the, one of the strongest predictors that your children will love Jesus is when they see you loving Jesus, when they see you learning Jesus. And uh, so feel free to bring a printed copy of the Bible with you and an and a exercise book or journal or notebook and fancy colouring in pencils and whatever you want to use to highlight the scriptures. Okay, let's open up to Matthew 18. Now, I'll say, I'll, I'll say at the outset that um, we're going on a journey. I'm not sure where we're going uh, how long it's going to take to get there or what's going to happen. But we'll go on this journey together. We've got a starting point. Um, so who's had an interesting week? Did you have an interesting week this week? Anyone have an interesting week? Who had a boring week? Okay, a few of you had a boring week, but some of you had an interesting week. Challenging week? That'd be another way to say interesting. Who had a challenging, challenging week? Yep. Had plenty of balls coming at you, some curve balls being thrown at you. And, um, yep, some people that confronted you or spoke nicely to you or perhaps shirt fronted you, all those kind of things. So, look, we're just going to have a little look into Matthew 18 this morning in the first few verses here. If you were to give this message a title, I think I would say, why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? That's the t we'll use that as a working title for the um, web stream and other places. Why is the sky blue? That will, that will be enough. Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, 
Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. We'll leave that there and pray. Holy Spirit, we ask you to illuminate this word so that it will become a living word, active in our spirits, transforming our thinking by aligning our thoughts with your thoughts for the glory and honour of Jesus, that we would live to please him. We would be like lights shining in the darkness of the world around about us, displaying the glory of a God who offers wonderful alternative life now and forever. Amen. One of the things about children that I'm relearning as a grandfather is that you have to be really careful about what you tell them because they actually believe you. They don't get nuance. They don't get tongue-in-cheek. If you say it, they believe it, right? You know? And so when I think part of the dynamic that's going on here is when Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask this question about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, uh, when, you, when you see kingdom of heaven, what you need to be thinking about is their question is not some um, kind of pie in the sky, sort of, you know, ethereal, vague reference. They mean, Jesus, you've come as the Messiah. You've come to reestablish Israel. You've come to establish it and to fill all the promises that are promised as the Messiah is going to come and do and deliver Israel from all of her enemies. We're going to occupy this land that we have promised from Genesis 12 and 15 through the, uh, as the descendants of Abraham. That is going to be the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Now, when, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So that's the question. Jesus, you come here, you're obviously the Messiah, you're obviously the one that's come to set up that kingdom. We are going to inherit the promises. We are going to, as the descendants of Abraham, we're going to fulfill all those promises. We will occupy this land. We will be the praise of the earth. We will be a blessing for ourselves and for the world. In that way, who's going to be the greatest one? 
Who's the goat is the question. Who's the greatest of all time? For those of you who don't follow sport, goat means is an abbreviation for greatest of all time. Who's the goat? Who's the greatest of all time? And we would answer, thank you. Yes. So who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus. Right. So, and after Jesus, who's going to be next? And notice what Jesus does. Now, here's what, here's the thing that I want you to walk away with. Why is the sky blue? You see, one of the things that is both endearing and annoying about small children is they ask why all the time. Why? 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 But something happens in school and you become a teenager and then, and then it becomes, the only question you ask is, do we need to know this for the exam? That's all, we, that's all we want to know. Is this important? Do we need to know this for the exam, right? We actually lose the capacity. Well, we can do We lose this inquisitiveness. We lose the childlike inquisitiveness. And we quickly move to judgments about things because we've got some insight and understanding. And we, we need to, I want to encourage you this morning to recapture the posture that Jesus says when he brings his child and says, we need to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think part of what he's saying here is you need to recover a spirit of curiosity. You need to read the Bible with a spirit of curiosity. You need to look in, at the thing and not just go, is this important for the test? But it's like, what's going on here? What are the dynamics of this encounter? I wonder why Jesus did that. So they came and they said, Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And, and look at the way that Jesus goes about answering the question. He kind of doesn't answer it, does he? He goes, well, he calls a child to himself. Now, I don't know about you, but I think the disciples were not expecting that. They're like, hang on a minute, we're saying, we're having a question about the greatest and he's, getting, he's calling a child to come and stand here. How is that going to answer this question? Because all that would be playing through your mind because your mind works very fast. So your mind works faster than I can talk. So, the, so this... Spirit of curiosity is so important because we often read the Bible and we read what happened, we read what God says and we make a judgment and we go, God shouldn't have done that. God shouldn't have said that. We put ourselves above God, we put ourselves above his word rather than, rather than adopting a posture of curiosity and going, what motivated God to do that? What motivated God to say that? And say, God, I want to understand. And so this invitation of a child becoming like a child, I believe, is to, is to come to that place of a little child 
who doesn't have any idea what's going on. And so they're all the time going, why? Why? Why are we going there? Why are we doing this? Why, why, why? It's that spirit of curiosity. And when we do that, even in our own relationships, in our families, if we will will capture that (laughs) again, and in our workplace... In our relationships with people, it's like, I wonder why they said that. I wonder what motivated them to do that. Because people say things for a reason and they do things for a reason. They don't do, you don't do things for no reason. You don't say things for no reason. Even if you, you, know, even if you didn't engage your brain before opening your mouth, you still there was something motivating you to say what you said and do what you did. And it's important to learn and to understand what's going on inside you as well as being an inquirer about what's going on inside the other person. And this is so interesting when Jesus does this and he says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. So again, there's this opportunity for repentance, which repentance is a clear thing all the way through the ministry of Jesus. It's all the way through the Bible. Turning, returning, to turn from our sins is to return to God's path. It's to say, I've wandered away. I need to get back on track. Unless you become like little children, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on and welcomes this child on my behalf, is welcoming me. It's a mystery. Do you go, hang on, what do you mean, Jesus? If I welcome a child, I'm welcoming you? Did that thought, who's, who just thought of that? Good. Keep thinking about that. Hang on. Anyone who welcomes a little child on behalf of Jesus is welcoming Jesus. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And again, you say, what is going on here? Now, some of you know what a millstone is. It's part of what they used for grinding uh, and making flour in those days. They would have two very, very large, very weighty stones that would sit on top of one another and crush the, crush the wheat and make flour. So it's not something you want tied around your neck and, thro- and be thrown into the ocean with, right? You know, uh, so this predates the uh, stereotypical Italian mafia that make concrete shoes for people <laughs> in the movies. Right? Jesus says, so that's a really strong warning, isn't it? So Jesus has taken this conversation that started out with a question about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God, heaven, right? And he's now, and he's brought this child in and he's now having this conversation about uh, the need to turn from sins, the need to become like little children to get into the kingdom of heaven. So what started out about what's, who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven is actually now a conversation about how do you get into the kingdom of heaven. And it's about requires the humility of a child to come in. 
No one comes in any other way. It's this, this humility of a child. It's, and the thing about children is there's a trustingness about with children. Children ask you to, if they trust you, they'll ask you to pick them up. Especially if you're their parents. They will, they will often stand on a chair and just launch towards you. They just, they just know that you'll catch them. Because you've done it every other time. And in fact, you've probably encouraged it. Jump. And so they do. Whether you're looking or not. You know, it's like sometimes it's coming ready or not. And you're not, and you sort of catch them half, but you still catch them if you see them coming out of the corner of your eye. You instinctively reach for them. And then there's this sober warning here. But about if we cause one of these little ones who trust in Jesus to fall into sin, it would be better for us to have this large millstone tied around our neck. So in other words, it's possible. it seems like Jesus is saying it's possible for us to do things that cause people to fall into sin. For those of you who are not sure what sin is, it's, it's a couple of things. But in its, in its most simple form, it is to, to fall short of who God created you to be. Paul says, for all have sinned, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have, have become, we've fallen short. We, we are created to be God's image bearers, worshipping him and reflecting him into the world around about us. We've all fallen short. We've all come up short and we need a saviour. We need someone to deliver us from this. We cannot deliver ourselves from that reality. But sin is also the, the thing of knowing what God wants and refusing to do it. And, that, and Paul's got arguments for this in his letters where he talks about for the Jews who have the, God's written law, they know God's way and they don't do it, therefore they come under God's condemnation. But even for believe, Gentiles, he says, who don't have God's written law, but they have, it, they, they have a conscience. And they're not free either of this. When they violate what they know internally to be wrong, they come under, we come under God's judgment. So sin is these things. So we, in fact, we have all sinned and we all need a saviour. But we can also, you know, some, it's like if I'm going down, I'm taking as many people with me as I can. That's the attitude that some people have. And Jesus here is giving a very clear warning about what the consequence of that will be. So in other words, I never ever want to be the cause of causing someone else to sin because there's something that comes to me, Jesus warns me about, from that. So the next time one of your friends in school invites you to sin, think of the millstone 
that might get tied around your neck. Well, Jesus said it'd be something worse than that. So you can only imagine what that'd be like. But this thing of like, and even when you attempted to lead other people into sin with you, let's go and sin. Now, now typically people don't say that, do they? When was the last time someone came up to you and said, hey, let's go sinning together today? People don't. But they entice us to do things that are sin. The list is endless. Now, there's lists in the Bible, but the, the list is endless. We keep on inventing, Paul says. Uh, we keep on inventing new ways to sin. And that's so true. And we've got many of those happening today and but jesus says what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin temptations are inevitable but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting so just think for a moment what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin there are some social scientists who would say that Really, since the 1950s, we've been living in a gigantic social experiment in Western society. I probably could go into a fair bit of detail, some detail about that. I won't say a fair bit of detail. I could go into some detail. But um, there have been lots of upheaval and they've been throwing off, if you like, things that were the way, some of the ways of God that were embedded into our culture. And we've said, we don't need these things anymore. The most recent examples is the, is the wanton attempt to destroy the family by re, God's idea of family by redefining family, by redefining marriage, by redefining gender. All of these things are the latest manifestations and the fruit of things that were birthed in the 1950s and predating that as well. When we said, we will live without God. We will create a godless society. And boy, we have done so well with that. In the church, we are meant to be living by a different beat of a drum, different drum beat. We are meant to be having our ear tuned to the voice of Jesus, tuned to the scriptures that say, no, these things are the ways of death. These things are the ways of destruction. We will not go that way. We will not teach our children this way. We will go the way of Jesus. That is what we are. And I believe like we have got a great opportunity at this point. Because there are many sorrows that the world has entered into. There is great gnashing of teeth and regret from many people. So don't believe what is portrayed in the media, which tells a very wrong narrative of actually the pain and the suffering that many people and families are going through. They tell one story and they tell a lie about the fruit that's being born through the sins that are multiplying in the culture. And we've got a great opportunity to say, we've got a, we've got a hope here. People, there's hope. You can have hope, but it begins by what 
by doing this, what Jesus says, by turning from your sin and becoming like a little child and entering the kingdom of heaven and learning the ways of the king of heaven. It's to say, I need to relearn and this is, I, do, I need to rediscover curiosity. So this morning I want to say to you, if you don't know Christ, you need, I want to encourage you to adopt a posture of curiosity. Read the Bible for yourself with, a post, with an attitude of curiosity of learning about Jesus. For those of you that got some familiarity with the Bible and, and with Jesus and the whole church thing, you too adopt a posture of curiosity. Don't, don't just go, I got this sorted. I've grown up in this thing. I know it all. We don't. We know Jesus a little bit. There's so much more to learn about Jesus if we would just have a posture of curiosity, of learning about him, him teaching us his ways, living. So we are, we got this wonderful opportunity to be people of hope in a world that is currently gripped by many sorrows. There are so many people in pain and some of them you know some of them you work with in great pain their families are in such disarray all all sorts all sorts of problems because one of the things that we said is our culture said is you can just live with someone you don't need to be married marriage is just a piece of paper Men, you can have as much sex as you want. Oh, if you have a child, have an abortion. Or if you won't have an abortion, just leave her. Just leave her to raise a child. You don't need to be responsible for it. This is the kind of messages that we've been sending. And this is, now we've got massive, massive issues with children abandoned by fathers. Massive issues of, of, uh, you've got some, some families who've got several children from several different fathers in the same home, none of whom have been married or any of those kind of things. And then uh, the list could go on and on and on. And, you know, I'm not meant to, I'm not being an exhaustive list here. These are just some of the things. And we are, our society is, is reaping the results of this social experiment, like I said, and, and the boundaries that just keep moving further and further away because we've thrown away God in essence. And we've said we, will, we do not want anything to do with God or God's ways as a culture and a society. Now, but I want to say all of us are guilty of this as well. You might not be pushy to the extreme. You might go, well, I'm not there, Wayne. No, you might not be. But we've all said there are areas in our life where it's like, actually, God, I do not want to do it the way you said to do it. I think my way is better than your way, God. I'll do it my way, not your way. And Jesus' invitation is to turn from our sin, become like a little child, so that we can actually enter into the kingdom of heaven. And there's these warnings. 
what if you took him at his word? What if you said, I don't want to enter into the sorrow that, that the world has entered into because it tempts people to sin? What if, you, what if we begin to say, I, I want to make sure I never ever tempt someone else to sin? Paul got to the, um, in Romans, I think it was, or, no, it's later to the Corinthians. He's talking about the fact that um, in, in the Greco-Roman culture, uh, they also did animal sacrifices and then they sold the meat that had been offered to, to non-gods. An idol is a non-god, by the way. So non-god. And, and Paul said, some of us can eat that kind of meat and it's okay, but some of us can't eat that kind of meat because the message it sends to them is, well, hang on, I thought that wasn't a god, but you've eaten what was sacrificed to them and causing them to stumble. And Paul says, I don't want to cause anyone to stumble. And so he, went, he said, look, if eating meat from the local butcher shop, which is, you know, at the temple, basically, that's where, where it happens. That's the local butcher shop. I, I will never eat meat again. You might be able to go to the casino. You might be able to place a bet. Lose your money, win some money, walk away. But if that caused another Christian to stumble, would you be willing to go, I'm never going to the casino again? Some of you can have a, have a drink of alcohol. But if it caused a, a person who's come to Christ who's a recovering alcoholic, if, they, if, it, if you offered them a drink that caused them to stumble, would you be willing to say, I will never ever do that again? These are the questions that come when we say we belong to a body where we understand that the things that I do and say impact other people. This idea that I am an individual and I can do whatever I want in the name of Jesus and it doesn't make is is not accurate. It's not biblical. The thing that we belong to one another earlier on this morning, we ate and drank bread and juice, which reminded us we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who gave his blood and we're part of his body. So therefore, if I don't want my, I don't want anyone, I'm going to speak to parents here. Parents, if someone caused your child to sin, you would take that person out and explain to them a better way. Isn't it time we bring that into, the, into our local body as well? To say, there's a better way. I want the greatest good for you. I want you not to stumble. So therefore, I will limit even my own freedoms so that you grow up to become all that Christ laid hold of you for. Why is the sky blue? Let's take a posture of a child, not just this morning, but every day. Let's ask, ask Jesus to give us a spirit of curiosity 
when we read the scriptures to say, God, I, I want to be curious about you. I don't want to assume I know who you are, even though I've heard about you all my life. I, I, want, I want to be curious about you, about why you've said things, why you did things. I want to enter into you in that place. Let's pray together. Let's stand and let's pray together. I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. Focus on the Lord Jesus right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you for that spirit of conviction that would lead us into freedom from sin. And so I ask you right now, convict us of the sins that are of, that are of, that you, well, we need to turn away from them. But some of us are so dull in our spirit, we've so seared our conscience, we're not even aware that we've sinned. Holy Spirit, visit us right now. Awaken us. Awaken us out of our dullness, out of our passivity and our lethargy. Bring that which is dead back to life so that we hear your voice speaking to us. Bring conviction of sin and lead us to repentance. Lead us to that place of humility as a little child. Holy Spirit, I also ask you to search us. And bring to our minds the people that we have perhaps inadvertently or maybe even deliberately, we've led them into sin. Forgive us our foolishness. Jesus, I want to ask you for something I've never asked you for before, and it's this, that you would give to us this fear. This warning that you, you gave of that if we cause others to sin, it it's, would be better for us to have this large concrete block tied around our neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea, which means that there's a greater thing that waits. There's a greater sorrow, a greater pain that, that awaits us if we are unrepentant. God, would you deliver us? Jesus, would you show us? Would you give us this gift of of an appropriate fear of this. That we'd be gripped by the reality of we don't want to cause anyone else to fall into sin. That we'd be gripped by the seriousness of what that means. God, I'm asking you to do this in the teenagers, the young adults, the adults and the children.
we'd be people who'd be willing to do whatever it takes. Just as you said in these verses in Matthew 18 about our hand or foot causing us to sin or our eye and all these things. It's like take such drastic action. You weren't encouraging us to actually physically mutilate our bodies, but you're encouraging us to do whatever it took. Whatever it took. To deal with the sin in our lives. To not not treat it as something that doesn't matter. But rather to treat it as what it is. A very serious, deadly, toxic cancer. Jesus, we just say to you that there's some things, some sins that we've become addicted to. We ask you for mercy to deliver us. Deliver us to set new patterns, new habits. That we become, we develop a new addiction to obeying you in everything. We develop an addiction to worshipping you every day, to praying without ceasing. That these things, that we'd enter into more and more of the fullness of your life and power for us. We say, Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And Jesus, I also ask you that you would make us bold witnesses because we are surrounded by people who, who are engulfed by the sorrow that comes from sin, but yet they still don't necessarily want to turn to you. God, give us wisdom. Jesus, give us wisdom and give us, make us messengers of hope to people. That we'll be able to, to speak to them and offer them and say, there is a way out of this sorrow. There is a way out of this pain and misery. His name is Jesus. Will you surrender to him? Will you turn to him? So help us as we go into the world this week to be ones who offer hope to the people all around about us. Because we've first of all experienced that hope within, which is you. Jesus, I am asking you to bring people into our lives this week. Maybe they're already in our lives, but they've never really shown an openness. But Jesus, open up conversations this week and give us courage and boldness to step into those conversations and point them to you, Jesus. Because you really are the king and you really are the one who's coming to rule and to reign. There really is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. The king is coming to reign. Yes. And we will join with all all of heaven. Looking forward to that day. Grip our hearts with that reality. Grip the hearts of our, our children, God, with the reality of there's a king who's coming to reign. To rule and to reign. And set up his kingdom of righteousness and justice across the whole earth. And there will be peace 
there will be the end of strife and enmity in all its manifestations. There'll be true peace, true joy, true happiness, deep love, devotion and affection. Capture our hearts with these realities, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.